to look at the scriptures. And I'm going to give you the option, if you would like to stand, that's fine. It's a long scripture. Um, if you're more comfortable sitting, that's absolutely fine. I am going to be reading from Leviticus 16 and 17. And in Leviticus 16, the Lord gives the instructions for the Day of Atonement, and they are quite explicit instructions. And it is regarding how the high priest is to make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the entire household of Israel. Um, I'm reading from um, the, the New King James Version. And just as a reminder, that unless the high priest carried out these instructions exactly the way the Lord had commanded, Israel, the high priest, his household, and Israel ran the risk of not being forgiven for their sins. So I'm going to begin in verse 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And there is your reason for um, Aaron dying if he walks into the holy of holies at any time, because the presence of God was there. Verse 3, and in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one goat shall be for the Lord, and the other goat for the, will be as the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell, and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord, to make atonement upon it, and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness." And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil." And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. 
He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his, excuse me, with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and set it apart from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of, end of atonement for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all of their transgressions concerning all of their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and he shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, come out, and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he, the one who released the goat as the scapegoat, shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come back into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into the holy place to make atonement, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest, who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place, shall make atonement 
and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments. And then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. And you may be seated for um, until I begin reading Leviticus 17. So there are a few things that I wanted to um, point out. And I do this every year. And I know there's a number of um, ladies who have come today all dressed in white. And maybe you could just stand right where you are if you're dressed in white. Because this is what the high priest looked like. His linen garments looked like this. And by the time he finished everything that the Lord had commanded him to do, his clothing was covered with the blood of the lamb, of the goat, of the ram, of the bull. Can you imagine what that sight looked like? Such a visual of sin. You may be seated. And I, I, I say this every year, but I think I need to say it every year as a reminder of how awful in the sight of the Lord sin is. So um, the other thing that I wanted to speak about, and I, I mentioned it when we read from Leviticus 23 earlier, and that was about having the holy convocation. And as we know in the scriptures, the children of Israel were all present while all these offerings were being made. And while the priest was taking the blood, then he would go behind the curtain into the most holy place to place the blood um, there on the mercy seat. And all of the children of Israel, they did not have seats to sit in like we do. They all stood. And could you imagine how very long they were standing while this service went on? It took a lot more time to do all of this, all of this than it took for me to read it. I'm simply reading the ordinances. The high priest had to perform all of these commands in the sight of all of Israel and in the sight of God. And as I said earlier, atonement for the high priest, his household, and all of Israel hinged on him doing all of this according to God's command. And again, it's a picture of Israel not being able to do anything. Just like us. There is nothing we can do to make atonement for our sins. It's the high priest who makes atonement for our sins. And the scripture on the inside of your bulletin says this. It 
speaking of Yeshua, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And as we, the other scripture we read was from Hebrews 5, 9, and 10. Our great high priest Yeshua, after the order of Melchizedek, has provided atonement for our sins and for all who will receive his pardon. So what the high priest was doing up until the time of Yeshua was a picture of what Yeshua would do for us. And God bless you. As I said, the priest, as well as all of the children of Israel, would have this visual of the high priest linen clothing being covered in blood. And I had mentioned to you on Saturday that the message today was going to be all about the blood. Because I was going to read once again Leviticus 16. And I also want to read from Leviticus 17. God bless you. And I'm reading verses 10 through 14. Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I, meaning the Lord, will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. That is the reason why we don't eat blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And God himself has given it to us upon the altar to make atonement for our souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. We cannot use any substitute for atonement. God says blood is the atonement for sin and for our souls. Not prayers, not sacrifice, not self-denial. None of this brings atonement. None of this brings a covering for our sin. It is simply and only the blood that makes atonement. Verse 12, therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, in other words, he's making a distinction between the kosher and the unkosher, the clean and the unclean, those that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats of it shall be cut off. You may be seated. The next scripture that I'm going to be reading is from Hebrews 12 or Messianic Jews chapter 12. This is our new covenant portion of the scriptures. I'm 
going to begin, you know what, I'm going to read it out of this scripture. I'm reading out of the um, Amplified. It says the same thing, but just in a little different language. So this is Hebrews 12, and this is in verse 18. Instead of reading it through, I'm going to say a few things about the scripture as we go along. For you, meaning us as believers, have not come, as did the Israelites in the wilderness, to a mountain that can be touched, a mountain that is ablaze with fire and to gloom and darkness and a raging storm. So we didn't come to a mountain that can be touched. I'm sorry. The scripture says, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. But we have come to a mountain that we can touch. The Israelites came to a mountain that God forbade them to touch. And they came to the mountain to the blast of a trumpet and to a voice whose words make the listeners beg that nothing more be said to them. Do you remember the children of Israel said, we can't hear this. We cannot hear this voice. It is too terrible for us to hear. That was the fear of God. That was the true fear of God. They heard his voice as a thunder. And it put fear into their hearts. For the children of Israel could not bear the command that was given. And the command was this, if even a wild animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. And it makes us understand why there is an oral law and a written law. The oral law was for the protection of Israel. It was a hedge around the written law because it kept you from breaking the written law by having man-made laws that kept you from getting so close to the true law of God. So you, wouldn't, you would not disobey the commands that man made because if you did that, you'd be too close to committing the sins that God commanded us not to commit. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was this hedge. And so there's this hedge around the mountain, the fire around the mountain, so the people would not touch the mountain. They didn't want to be so close to it that they would touch it by accident and then have to be stoned. This is a different time in a different place. But the children of Israel became the people of Israel and the people of God at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is where he gave them the law. This is where he made them his chosen people. They were chosen before that, but this is when they became a community and worshiped together the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In verse 21 of Hebrews 12, in fact, so awful and terrifying was this sight that even Moses said, I am terrified with fear. And that's from Deuteronomy 9.19. But then in verse 22, we read this. But rather you, meaning us, as the children of God, 
have come to Mount Zion, even to the city of the living God. We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, and we have come to countless multitudes of angels who are gathered in a festal gathering. And to the assembly, we have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are registered as citizens in heaven. Who is that? Those are those who went before us, but it's also us. We are part of that same community. And we have come to the God who is judge of all. We have come to God. There is no longer a veil between God and us because Yeshua has removed that veil. Where the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies through the veil, at the moment that Yeshua died on that tree of sacrifice, that veil was torn from top to bottom so that we had access into the throne room of God. So we have access to the God who is judge of all. And we have come to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. And we have come to Yeshua, the mediator, the go-between of a new covenant. And we have come to the sprinkled blood which speaks of mercy. Yeshua's blood speaks of mercy. A better and nobler and more gracious message than the blood of Abel, the first man who was slain on this earth. His blood cried out for vengeance. Yeshua's blood cries out for mercy. This scripture was read at one of our prayer meetings, our Zoom prayer meetings, and I could not get it out of my head. I kept pondering it because I knew there was something in that scripture that was important for us to lay hold of on this day, the day of the blood of atonement. And one of the things that I discovered as I was studying this portion, Hebrews 12, 18 through 24, is that there are some commentaries that pit Mount Sinai against this place in Scripture. And I was very agitated by the way the commentary was written because it really pitted Judaism against Christianity. And that's not what God sees. God sees the people of faith as one body. That we are, our forefathers, are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is our spiritual lineage. We don't have a different spiritual lineage, anyone who was born Gentile, non-Jew. We have, when we come to this place, this atonement place, and we receive the atonement of Yeshua, we receive this lineage as our lineage. God says, I will make a people who are not a people. That's those of us who are not 
natural born Jewish people. We are now a people. We are the people of God. God says he will make one new man out of the two. That is who we are sitting here. We have both Jew and non-Jew here. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We recognize the atonement of Messiah Yeshua. That God said there must be blood if we want our sins forgiven. And so I pray that, that we all not be taken in by the division that's out there but that we do what we can do to be sure the message of the one new man is heard. Because we are all one body. We are one in Messiah. And this is God's heart. That blood was shed so that we would be one in Messiah. And as I was reading this and I was remembering, I'm going to read another scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read it from it's Hebrews 8, 6 through 9. But now Yeshua has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also at the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And that is the new covenant. The new covenant did not come about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The new covenant is in Jeremiah 31, where God says, I will make a new covenant with my people. This is the new covenant. The new covenant is the blood of Messiah. And as I shared about when I had the ladies stand who were, are dressed in white. As you think about what that high priest looked like after handling the blood, bringing it back into the most holy place, sprinkling it, you know, blood gets everywhere. And so from head to toe, this high priest was covered in blood. Our high priest Yeshua, as he hung on that tree of sacrifice, was covered in blood from head to toe. The high priest dressed in those linen garments was a picture of the great high priest who was to come. The one covered in the blood of animals, the other covered in his own blood, Because it is only the blood of a sinless man who could make atonement once and for all. In Israel, after Yom Kippur, the very next day, the people still had to bring offerings. They still had to bring the animals into this sanctuary to be sacrificed. Why? For their sins. Because one day was not enough. It was not enough until the sinless Son of God came and walked on this earth and gave his life, his perfect life, for us, for all of humanity. And when he hung on that tree, he was covered 
from the top of his head, that crown of thorns that brought forth blood from his head all the way down to his feet where he was nailed to the cross, out to his hands where he's nailed to the cross, his side where he was pierced for our transgressions. And that's not even counting all of the lashes that he received. In Isaiah 53, it says he was unrecognizable. He was unrecognizable. And why? Because of our sins. He was unrecognizable because of our sins. You know, somebody was sharing with me this past week, I think, sometime. And the comment was made, the person was repeating something somebody else had said about the Jews killing Jesus. And I thought about that comment. And the person who said this was a Christian and I thought about the comment, and it didn't make me mad. It made me sad because I understood that the person had no understanding of his own, her own culpability for Yeshua's death. The Romans nailed him to the cross. Well, even before that, the Jewish Sanhedrin condemned him to death. The Romans nailed him to the cross. Yeshua said he freely gave his life, but he died for my sins. And unless I acknowledge that I crucified him, I have no understanding of the cross. I have no understanding of the blood. I can't blame it on the Jews. I can't blame it on the Romans. I can only blame it on myself. He shed his blood for me. He became unrecognizable for me. For me. And unless we can say that, we have no clue. We have no clue. And we will go on in our ignorance of what Yeshua has done for us because we have no clue. I want to close with a quote from a pastor that I love to read his sermons. His name is Charles Spurgeon. And he delivered this sermon on Sunday morning, September 2nd, 1866. And he titled his message, The Blood of Abel and the Blood of Jesus. That's what he titled it. But I will call, I will call him Yeshua as I read this. 
He was speaking about Cain's murder of his brother Abel. Abel was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And the firstborn man on this earth was murdered by his brother, who was the secondborn on this earth. And he writes this. Though the blood was silent in the seared conscience of Cain, it had a voice elsewhere. A mysterious voice went up beyond the skies. It reached the ear of the invisible God and moved the heart of eternal justice so that breaking through the veil which conceals the infinite from man, God revealed himself and spoke to Cain. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Then Cain knew that blood could not be idly spilt, that murder would be avenged, for there was a tongue in every drop of the blood that flowed from his brother's body. And that blood prevailed with God so that God would intervene and hold a solemn inquest. Then he goes on to speak about what happened at Calvary. When the Son of God himself was slaughtered, he who was man but yet was more than man, God revealed in the flesh. He was dragged before the judgment seat and falsely condemned. And it was shouted, away with him, away with him. They actually dared to take nails and fasten the Son of God to the accursed tree. They lifted up his body between earth and heaven until he died. Then they pierced his side and immediately blood and water flowed from it. No doubt Pilate, who had washed his hands in water, thought that no mischief would come of Yeshua's death. The scribes and Pharisees went on their way and said, We have silenced the accusing voice. There will no more be heard in our streets of him who said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. We shall no longer be disturbed in our hypocrisy and our formality by the presence of a pure and holy being whose simple honesty shall be a stern rebuke to us. We have murdered him. We have put him to death without just reason. But there's an end to it. There will be no voice to that blood. There was a cry that went up to heaven from the cross of Calvary. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them resounded from the wounds of Emmanuel. The blood of Abel was not voiceless, and the blood of Yeshua was not voiceless. It cried so as to be heard among, among, amid the thrones of heaven. And blessed be God, 
that blood spoke for us, not against us. It did not speak worse things as it might well have done, but better things than that of Abel. It did not demand fierce vengeance. It did, it did not ask that we might be driven as vagabonds and fugitives upon the face of the earth like Cain. And it did not ask to be banished from God into hell forever. But that voice cried this, Father, forgive them. And that voice prevailed. And the curse was taken away from us. And a blessing came to all of the sons of men. The blood of Yeshua speaks better things because it speaks forgiveness. It prevails over the curse. And that blood is a blessing to us. So, Father, we are thankful for the blood of Yeshua this day. We are thankful, Lord, that it is not the blood of bulls and goats that removes our sin. Because if that were true, tomorrow we would need to sacrifice another bull, another ram, another lamb. Until our eyes were opened to the sacrifice of our Messiah Yeshua. His body, covered in blood, from head to toe, because of my sins. <laughs>